to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares, I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask him how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they gonna say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're gonna make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show him a 3% return, and I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Eliani on the board. S&P Futures down 475. NASDAQ Futures down 54. We have Mr. Brennan. Good morning, Chief. How, How are, are you? you? I'm doing good. Eliani was here before me this morning. Bright-eyed. She's, uh, I don't know, I'm sitting there going, all of a sudden I look in the parking lot and I go, yeah, there's, there's Eliani ahead of me. I'm like, there she was. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's, it's I woke up at 3 a.m. Yeah, and I had... a good start to the week in the show. Uh, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I guess so, right? But, uh, Good to see her. Um, always look forward to seeing. It. Actually, I like everybody has a little bit of a different uh, touch to the show, and it's all great. The two Max and Eliani makes a nice mix. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> me uh, anyway. Um, so what's going on in your world? I'm sitting here going through this uh, this bill that just passed, and I'm looking at the numbers. And of course, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't understand some of this stuff, but uh, that's par for the course, Brendan. Do you understand it all? I don't understand it all, but. Uh you know, it, it was interesting from a political standpoint. Plus, um, you know, I, I find it interesting that uh, there's so much antipathy towards it from the Republican side because of things, even including things like lower medical costs for seniors and for everybody. Like the insulin bill is one that the uh, that there's still a lot of pushback on right now. But I don't understand why people would be uh, not in favor of uh, of lower. Uh, cost for for medical uh, and for medicines. Well, um, the uh, thing I mentioned yesterday, and I will mention again, since you are a, uh, involved in this stuff, the I, I'm I'm so curious is is how the pay for play stuff works and how these people, these people, I mean, our elected officials, with a bare face, do the stuff they do. I I absolutely cannot imagine the Democratic. Who is the Democratic? Whatever she is from, uh, she's from Arizona. With the last, Kristen Cinema. The 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 last vote in. Yeah. And she she would only put the last vote in if they if they got rid of the uh, ban and uh, carried interest. Mm-hmm. What 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 hedge fund gave her what, Brendan? Why why did she care about that? Who get, what, did her did her husband get some big job or a bonus? I mean, what what's the payoff for something like that? I mean, that's that's massive money for four hundred people. I I agree with you. I can't explain why she took that position and why she was so adamant about that. Uh, there was another provision that she fought hard for, and that was this four hundred million dollars for um, uh, drought control in Arizona and other western states, which makes a little bit more sense. But as far as the the carry of, of the interest, I don't understand that at all. But she was adamant about that uh, earlier in the spring when the the first Build Back Better bill was proposed. And I don't understand, but I, there has to be some kind of a lobbyist uh, issue there with her that, that may come out at some point. But it, I agree with you that it doesn't make sense. But what, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm just kind of, I know, you know, you and I are from Chicago, so the, the payoff stuff is still, is, is, is rich in our blood, right? Uh, I, uh, I explained it yesterday. What it essentially says is people that get a bonus by running a hedge fund. 
based on a percentage of the money that was made in the hedge fund, instead of considering it ordinary income, they get to they get to use the same amount of long-term capital gains as the money made by the hedge fund. But that's not their money. That's the people who own the stock and the, and the fund's money. It's not theirs. Mm-hmm. Theirs is a strictly a bonus. I mean, I've done this. And, <clears throat> and there's no... But I'm thinking, what? how could I possibly explain to some senator how I deserve that capital gains treatment without greasing her? <laughs> but I know it's a crude way to put it, without greasing her palm. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, what, how can I logically ex- explain that I er- that I deserve that dough? I I can't I cannot make that argument. This is one of those times where I cannot make that argument. <laughs> well, then, and the Republicans, all of a sudden now, are the absolute best buddies of the pharmaceutical industry. If we mm-hmm. if we lower the cost of Viagra from fifty bucks a pill to forty nine, it's going to screw Grandma <clears throat> because they're going to cut back on research, not on advertising. And it's going to stop all new <coughs> drugs in the pipeline. Does any does any moron believe that? So many puns. No. Yeah. Uh, no. Again, the, the the political stances for some of these positions are are completely frivolous, and I don't understand how they can say this with a straight face. And and, and this this goes for for both sides. But uh, currently, with this bill, it's on the Republican side as to why they're taking the stances that they are against this bill. That everything in the bill is. Uh, Antithetical to American values, and uh, you know it doesn't make sense. However, you know I'll, I'll also go back to the big infrastructure bill that was passed uh, with, with similar consternation a while ago. And at that time, uh, the Republicans were almost unanimous against it, except when the bill was passed, and they went back to their home states and bragged about how much infrastructure improvements were going to be because of their efforts. Which, again, is uh, a little hard to understand how they can take that position. Well, I mean, I. I Actually, uh, in, in a kind of a perverted way, I I think they could take that position. They're, they're saying even though we're voting against it, we made sure we got something out of it. That's essentially, what they're telling you, right? Well, that's what they're telling you that we we were doing this for your benefit. However, uh, it makes it sound like they were the proponents of the of the bill in the first place, and they did everything they could to stop it, just like they did everything they did to stop it this time. Uh, and it, so, I, mean, I I just don't understand how they can say that with a straight face and try to maintain some kind of uh, honesty in the position. Well, if, if you and I were hanging around from the South Side congressman and we there was some spending bill that came through that we were totally against, given it was inflationary and whatever else we thought about it, if they're passing out a million dollars a district, we're surely going to say, "Well, I want my billion." Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's I mean, it's funny when you when you talk to some. Uh, I'm sure you have these discussions. When I talk to some of the, uh, I'll say the right wingers, the repubs, they'll they're they're absolutely aghast if you were to say, you know, we're against this bill. It's horrible. I said, but, but your guys, I'm sure their districts got did just as well as the Democrats. They look at mm-hmm. you like like yeah. you, like you have two heads. Of course they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're not. Nobody's getting totally stiffed on the deal. I don't think. No. No, they're not. And you're right. Uh, given our collective backgrounds, we're looking for that thing that, to know that they're disingenuous uh, when when they make those arguments and to claim credit for the good parts of the bill after having opposed it without saying that we're opposed to a, a part of the bill but not other parts of the bill. But it's again, across the board, the whole thing is bad, uh, and that's where the inconsistency comes in, and that's where and I think undermines the credibility of Congress. Well, have you? Uh I'm going to hit you up with one here. I, I never can stump stump the uh, Brendan, but 
Have you read this part about the taxation as minimum corporate tax? Uh, no, I didn't read that part of it yet. Well, let me let me explain it to you as, as, I'm, as I'm reading it here, because I, I can't understand. For those that uh, have not read this part, they're, they're claiming there's a, there's a $313 billion over 10 years, which, by the way, is, is sort of peanuts in, in, the, in the federal budget world, right? Uh, they're going to impose a 15% minimum tax on corporate profits for businesses that earn at least a billion dollars a year. Now, you may ask yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense because if if somebody puts a profit out there, say you make ten million bucks, the tax rate is already twenty one percent, right? So where where does the fifteen come in? Because because there's no if there's no profit, even a, min, a minimum fifteen percent doesn't do you any good, right, Brennan? Because it should be twenty one anyway. But evidently, but evidently, what they're going to do is they're going to apply the fifteen percent rate to the book rate profits companies disclose to Wall Street. Just just to step back a hair, when, you're, when your firm comes out, and uh, the late Bob Golden, I would love to have him on with us today, but he's no longer here. Uh, Bob went through this whole routine for us one day, Brendan, about how when, when uh, say, Brendan Inc., Brendan and Eliani Inc. comes out with a, they made $2 billion, okay? And they, those, are the, those are the books that you put out for, it's an annual report and all those other kinds of things. You may also have a, a totally separate books for taxes, correct? And uh, and maybe you depreciate things faster for taxes. Maybe you your uh, uh, what's the one for oil? The something allowance. There's all kinds of different ways that legitimate ways that you can do inventory. You can do other kinds of things, and and, and one for tax purposes, and one maybe to make your, yourself look a little better. You can lose straight line depreciation versus uh, double declining digits, that kind of stuff in my accounting days. Uh, so your books can be different um, and legitimately, I, I think. Right, Brendan? And uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, and when Bob was on one day, he went through and I, he lost me, of course, but he went through an annual report, and if you read a regular annual report from Nike or IBM, wherever the hell it is, if you go into the notes, you can tie the two together. You consider there's a, there's a, a footnote that says... Uh, a reserve for future tax liability, or something like that, and in there, that number is the difference between the taxes that should have been paid based on the book number, and, it, and but weren't paid because the the number that went to the IRS is the other set of books. Correct? You, you, you if you know what you're doing, you can tie the two together. Yes. And so now, I think what they're saying is they want to give somebody a 15 percent tax rate using that number added back in. Is that is that what they're doing? It seems to me. It could be. I, I again, I haven't read that provision, so I, I don't know if that's the case or not. But we're only talking about uh, eight billion a year for uh, the fifty-five big companies that pay no net federal income tax. So it's I don't, I don't who the hell's going to tie all these numbers together. Of course, they're hiring what eighty thousand or some. It might not be the number. Some mass amount of IRS agents to go after people. Now, the idea is mm-hmm. they're going to go after these guys and not after you and me. Now, does anybody believe mm-hmm. that? <laughs> does anybody believe that? I, you know. <laughs> um, Let me tell you a story about that. You know you know that the IRS has been cutting back over the last uh, several years, especially in the previous administration, that the number of IRS agents has dwindled considerably. Um, and uh, you know, we hear the reports all the time about big oil companies and other mega corporations that are making massive amounts of money and paying zero or very little taxes. Um, I got a, uh, a statement 
from the IRS earlier this year, uh, claiming that I owed them $5.75 because my taxes were incorrect. So I'm really grateful that they had enough uh, manpower to track down my $5.75 that was uh, uh, underpaid. <laughs> Um, and that's that's a true story. I got I got a letter from them. It may not have been five seventy five, but it was it was five something. Oh, uh, you were uh, not alone. I mean, right? it, it cost more to to send the check back to them than it uh, it did to uh, what I owed. You were not alone. They told me that I my uh, I had a uh, return coming last year, and they sent me like ninety four cents more than my accountant told told them I deserved. They, somebody came up with a, with a difference of ninety four cents. I don't. Know what, might have been interest. Might, it was something different. So somebody somebody looked at it, mm-hmm. or some machine looked at it. Or, or I don't know what they did. They don't think they can scan it for that, can they? I don't have no idea. Well, I'm surprised at that because usually they round up or down, and anything under a dollar, you just kind of forget about. Yeah, you would think. But, but you uh, know, you might have you might have just been able to reconcile the federal budget with that ninety four cent payment. Uh, <laughs> it might have been. So here, I don't know if you've read the uh, now the House bill. Uh, there was an awful lot more savings on these drug things, right? The negotiation mm-hmm. with Medicare. Well, it turns out uh, the government will save $288 billion by negotiating. I'm reading this out of CNBC, by the way. Uh, by inno- negotiating over drug prices, Moody's says. Now, this is an article written by Moody's. And that's a win for senior citizens. But some experts, whoever they are, say the change will be more gradual and phased in than many customers expect. That's because the, the law only allow Medicare to negotiate over a few drugs in the early years of its implementation. Medicare would only be able to haggle over 10 drugs in fiscal 2026. It's four years now. And new medications will not be subject to negotiation for 9 to 13 years after their market introduction. So they're going to get full patent protection and full price, whatever these guys feel like paying, for 9 to 13 years. This isn't much of a, of a beating here, is it? Uh, savings are Not much of a beating at all. No. And that's... The <laughs> So that's another compromise was made, and it gives the headlines to the Democrats. They can say we're lowering Medicare uh, prices for free medicines, but there's really not that much of a savings. It also gives the Republicans a win by saying that uh, the general public will pay more because seniors are paying less. Uh, right. So savings are exponentially smaller than under the 2019 House bill, which covered many more drugs. That bill would have let Medicare negotiate terms with 25 top drugs initially instead of 10. One win for seniors is a $2,000 annual cap on their contribution to prescription spending. Most recipients now spend less, but cancer patients can easily spend 10 grand or more. Um, mm-hmm. Is there is there any way in, in in your grandkids' lifetime that we're ever going to corral these drug companies? No. But when you reach the point where other people, I didn't mention this to you last week, Brennan, we, we were arguing about something else, but I did some, uh, I'm going to say some half-assed uh, research here, because uh, one of the one of the huge studies I came up with had to do with hospi- hospital expenditures, and uh, <coughs> it, it, it went back from 90, 1997 to 2010, they listed about, you know, 30 different medical conditions, of course I recognized like five of them, the rest of them I had no idea what the hell they were, and uh, they talked about the the average price of uh, of a hospital stay with those conditions. I don't know if they meant you came out cured. They didn't really say how many how many days you were in there, but you could sort of you know get a get a view of it. And the average, they said that the it went up like 
something like 2.8 or 2.9 percent per year over that period of time, over the 13 years, wow. which, which is a lot. But the weird part is, most of them were in the 10, 8 to 15 thousand dollar range for the hospital stay. This is in 2010. I looked up as of 2022, like last week, the average hospital room per day is over 10 grand. So since 2010 to 2022, I have to believe that on average, and I'm probably being nice, you're talking about at least two days you're in for these diseases, probably more like three. But even if you say two, it's it's like doubled in 10 years. I mean, so you're up to, just on on a scale... You're up to uh, the the average salary of a the median income of a of a worker is say thirty eight thousand forty thousand. So we're talking a hospital stay of a little over three days a year's salary mm-hmm. for one person. For one person. I mean, we're not we're not. How many people could possibly, if you don't have insurance or whatever, save up enough money for for something bad to happen to you and end up in a hospital without insurance? You, you can't, and that, that's also why most. Uh, most uh, insurance coverage yeah, for a lot of folks is catastrophic coverage. There's because there's still very high deductibles for them in any case. Well, I don't know how you you, you drop a fifteen thousand dollar deductible on somebody who's making forty grand a year. You can't. I, I mean, there's there's really no way that you can expect them to uh, first to to plan for that. I mean, even under the the best scenarios, most people in the country aren't able to do that. In fact. Some of the studies that I've shown said that uh, for many people, they couldn't afford 500 to $750 to repair their car if it was unexpected. Well, that's right. Well, I, I just, you know, we're sitting here, and, and Eliana keeps a, a, a good ear on everything and, uh, and, and, and lets me know. Which, how is it the three of us are sitting here just reading this thing, and we're just, we're just regular schmucks, right? Yeah. And a schmuckette. Uh, two schmucks and a schmuckette. And we're sitting here. <laughs> uh, how can we pick out this stuff and say, well, this doesn't make any sense. And yet, we got all these people we're paying in Washington that allegedly have spent countless hours on this. They don't see the same thing, or they don't care, or what? Well, I'm sure they see the same thing. But whether they'll admit it and admit what they're doing is another question. Right. And you know, this this is on, on both sides of the aisle. And you phrased this before, that the lobby industry is so entrenched uh, that... Uh, they get their way more than uh, than what the politicians are passing. Well, the, uh, the thing, and actually, I, I've talked about this with Oliani a few times. That the, the difference, I mean, I guess, Brendan, where, where I come with this is if you, if you can you can screw somebody a little bit here and there, and and but you have to get the, you have to recognize when you get to the point where you can't screw them anymore. As, as the Irish used to say, you can't get blood out of a turnip. Now, I don't know how much more you think you can get out of these people that are, that are making as a family fifty six at sixty grand a year. I mean, you, you want you want uh, five hour gas. You want food prices going up. You want rents that are up twenty percent in one year. You want housing prices that have damn near doubled in three years. And, and oh, by the way, uh, you know now we want a fifteen thousand dollar deductible on top of something. I mean, how, how much do you think? What do you think? What do you think's in the guy's checkbook? I guess it. These guys have to recognize that we're we're pushing the average person in this country into the poorhouse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it is insane. I was I mean I was just talking to uh, Tom on my way in, and he was like, you know, I haven't I haven't been able to sleep about. I have some unfortunately some some health issues I'm dealing with at the moment that I can't afford to take care of, even though I have health insurance. But what good does it do? 
you know, so I can do like some preliminary things and, you know, I'm trying to plan, you know, for surgeries that I need to do, but I work three jobs. So I have to find a way to find, not only just afford the treatments I need to be here, but also I have to navigate the fact that I'm doing this completely by myself. Well, yeah, (laughs) this is not something new how slick these guys are. Yeah. How's that for a South Side term? you know, I had uh, we had a while ago. Uh, we had when we had more people here at PTI. We had one of those uh, health savings plans, mm. and uh, which I don't know if you know what that is, but uh, you have a bigger deductible, but you get to put money in there, like an IRA. It's tax it's tax deductible, and then you can use that for your deductible expenses. Did you ever have one of those, Brennan? Yeah, I did. And, uh, uh, and the kind that I had, uh, you had it started by the end of the year. Oh, this this one was, was better than that because it, it carried over. Matter of fact, if like you never got sick and you put five grand a year in a thing, but it, you know you started doing this when you were twenty. By the time you were sixty, you had like a big IRA mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. the thing. So because you could actually invest it in, in a couple places. Sure. But uh, and it wasn't a very good IRA, but it was it was one. It could be used like one. It was something. But, but the weird part of it was, there was a period of like two or three years. I ended up after like a short period of time, I had like fifteen grand in this thing, and. uh had a couple of issues, nothing like threatening or anything. And the weird part was your deductible was like five grand. So if you went to your doctor and, and you know, I said, man, my back's bugging me. Uh, we'll go see this guy. And then, and then he says, go get an MRI. Well, the cost of the specialist and the MRI were like exactly like 4900 bucks. <laughs> which, which, so this happened like three years in a row. The, the insurance never had to pay a dime. My fifteen grand that I had in there is down to zero after after, after three years <laughs> and three of it. And they knew exactly what the you know going to the charge. specialist and going to the, the MRI. They knew exactly where to put the deductible where they never paid. And I'll, and I'll bet a lot of people walking around with this twelve to fifteen thousand dollar deductible, unless somebody either has a heart issue or cancer or something like that, I, I bet they never pay because because you, you end up paying because most of the stuff is is under that limit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Think, I think they're good at this, Brent. <laughs> I, I really do. I think they're real good at it. They know just what these prices Almost are. Almost like they're writing the script. Yeah, well, duh. I think maybe they are. <laughs> you think? <laughs> what do you What do you uh, suppose? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I know in, in Illinois, we have a lot of people that are uh, you know elected officials here in part-time jobs that are also lobbyists. Wasn't the guy who was the, uh, the tax assessor that's, that's no longer, he, he was last time, what was his name? Uh, he had some, a couple Imperials? of... Yeah, he, his, his big job was a lobbyist, wasn't it? Oh, well, I mean, there, there's quite a few politicians. In fact, there was a headline yesterday about uh, a lawyer, L.G. Sims, from a, a large law firm here in Chicago, who now may be caught up because of his lobbying efforts. Well, but I mean, these are elected officials, and, and Illinois is... Is Illinois, like, the only state that, that except for... I'm going to say except for the mayor and the governor, isn't everybody else, like, part-time? Um, well, maybe not Secretary of State, but uh, nominally, yeah. But some of the some of the aldermen will tell you that they are full time, so that they can properly serve their constituency. Yeah, but they're all lawyers or something, right? Um, not all of them. There's quite a few of them who are, but some of them are uh, grassroots activists who went into the political realm and nonprofit organizations. But there are a, a heavy number of uh, of, lobby, of, uh, of lawyers. There's also a restaurateur like Tom Tunney who owns Ann Sathers. I don't think uh, Michelle Smith, the one who's leaving in my area, 
I don't think she did anything but be an alderman. I'm not positive on that. I think she might have been full time. But I mean, but in, in uh, general, I think so. And there are some. There are some of the aldermen who are full time, and I think she is one of them. But it's still defined as part time, right? So you you could be an yeah. attorney. You could show up at court and, and, and represent somebody against the city, and it would be okay. Or you could represent uh, people contesting their taxes that you've imposed in your role as councilman. Right. <laughs> but um, so I, I guess but who would do that? Yeah, yeah. Who, yeah who, yeah. Plus, they probably recommended the judge they're going in front of. It's a, it's a beautiful world, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but I, I I just I wonder. You know, I, I don't. We see us going down this road, Brennan, and I, and I just most of the time it, it really doesn't make any difference. You see the little games they're playing. But I, but I really do think that with the onset of inflation, if if you don't have a, a really good feel for how bad that affects somebody, and I don't think these guys do. Matter of fact, uh, uh, your, your new girlfriend, the, the, the head of the San Francisco Fed, who said she's not feeling inflation because she makes four hundred grand a year. That was a, that was a brilliant thing to say. I don't know if you read, read that or not. Somebody asked I her. I didn't hear that. Camera. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Was, what's her name? Mary Mary Daly. Yeah, that was. Insane. Yeah, it was insane. It was insane. Um, she said it so, like, as a matter of fact. Yeah. She was so. Oh my god! I was like, what a. I'm sorry. What? I, I just ah. I like. Like, I feel violent. I was talking to my boss about it yesterday. I was like, ah. I well, she, kill it might have been. <laughs> I think it might have been taken out of context a little bit. In, in, yeah, in, but in still, you of, don't say that. Well, I mean, you. you <laughs> what you should say are, are, is, is the people that that make a real lot of money probably don't. Uh, concern himself with the price of gas going up as people with a smaller amount of money, and that's true. I mean, I, you, you can't say I'm, it's not bothering me. But the weird part, Brennan, e- even she has to know as an economist that if she pulls into the the speedway and puts twenty dollars dollars more in the tank, if she ever gets her own gas, which she probably doesn't, uh, if she puts twenty dollars more in the tank, that's still twenty dollars less that's going into her savings. So it uh-huh. do- it does affect her, even though it's not affected. You know, what I'm saying it. It, it makes a difference in, in her dispersion of her money, even though she doesn't, quote, notice it. But it, it does make a difference, right? It's still 20 bucks that she has to come it, up with. It, it certainly does make a difference. It's kind of a Marie Antoinette comment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because an economist should, should never make that comment, because it does no. make a difference, you know, I think. Well, it also impacts the economy in a different way. Your example about the gas, you know, when you pull into a gas station, uh, do you use the lowest grade instead of the middle grade. If you've been using a mid-grade or a premium grade for your car, do you go to a lesser grade now and hope that there's not damage to your car, that you're really saving money? And are you saving the money that has been made up by the price increase? Well, I, we got a dash, Brennan, but I have a I have a truck that you just use the lower grade. I don't have one of these fancy cars like some people. Just saying. Just saying, you know. By the way, don't go below. I was doing this as a hypothetical. Ah, by the way, don't go below what the owner's manual tells you. You can screw it up. That's right. All right, take care of yourself, buddy. SP Futures down 10, NASDAQ Futures down 74. Big news here this morning is chip makers, they had the world by the by, the, by whatever a while ago. Now those guys are going down. As NVIDIA was down huge yesterday, as I, the guy came out and said they were going to miss. They're down again this morning. We'll talk about that after the break. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. 
Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Aliani on the board. SP Futures down 8, NSA Futures down 65. A lot of that has to do with these chip manufacturers. NVIDIA was 192 on Friday night. It was down a bunch yesterday as the chairman came out, and I heard bits and pieces of it. Joel will probably know more, but they basically uh, uh, talked down uh, going forward, and it was down like 8 bucks yesterday, and it's down another 5 today, so it's down $20 in, uh, in two days. That's not good. Um, that's, that's pre-market anyway. Uh, so, like I said, SP futures down 7, NASDAQ futures down 64, Dow futures up 2. In the Dow, uh, we got Chevron up 86 cents, nothing really moving in there. Over in Asia, we've got Nikkei down 249, it's 0.9%. It's been pretty volatile lately. Shanghai down 10, I'm sorry, up 10, 0.3 is the only one that's up. Hang Seng down 42, but hanging above 20,000, 20,003, just hanging above. Yesterday, uh, we had a mixed bag where Dow was up 29, SP down 5, NASDAQ down 13. We were up pretty solid in the morning, and it came down, and a couple times looked like we were going to pull a rug out from under it. 
in the last half hour just kind of meandered back up to the flat line. So it was really kind of a strange day. Over in Europe, the DAX down 110.8%, FTSE up 4, call that flat, kick around down 25.4%. Uh, bonds up 3 basis points, 2.79, so right hanging about this 280 number, way below, almost 4 it got to a while ago. Uh, Bund up 3 to 9.94, trying to get back over 1%. Uh, Japan was lang- languishing here at 0.17. Oil, oil was way down, now it's up a buck today, but 91.89, it was out under 90 yesterday as everybody recalls. Uh, Brent up 128, 97.93. Natural gas up 14, seven, 14 cents, 7.73. We had gold, which had a pretty good rally yesterday, hanging in there again today. Up buck 1807. Silver unchanged, 20.61. Copper unchanged at 3.59. Uh, we've got Bitcoin down 5.46, but still above 23,000, 23,370. And we've got the dollar versus the euro. Uh, the euro is up uh, 34. I guess it's thousands. 1.022, so I guess safely above a buck, at least for a while. Eliani, what do you have for us? Traffic Weather Sports. Thanks, Chief. Good morning, everyone. Currently 6.36 a.m. on August 8th. Let's start talking about sports. Looking at the games last night, Cubs beat the Nationals 6-3. They'll be having a rematch today at 7.05. The Diamondbacks beat the Pirates last night 3-0 with a rematch today at 8.40. And the Sox beat the Royals last night. Uh, sorry, excuse me. The, the Sox have a doubleheader today against the Royals at 310 and 640, respectively. Looking at weather in Chicago this morning, we're currently sitting at 65. Pretty sunny day today with a high of 76, low of 62. There is an aerial flood watch actually over at Michigan Avenue. we got some pretty heavy waves today, so if you intend to go to the beach, don't do that. And uh, looking at weather in Phoenix... Uh, currently, there are dealing with heavy, 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 heavy thunderstorms, so much so that there is actually a flood watch there as well. Uh, but they're currently sitting at 75 degrees uh, with a high of 104 and a low of 72. Looking at traffic in Chicago this morning, we have traffic eastbound on 290 between Highway 45 and Cicero. Traffic eastbound on, on I-90 between the 294 Tri-State Ramp and Lawrence. And intermittent traffic on westbound on 94 between 59th and West Division and between Foster and Old Orchard Road with an accident at Niles Center Road causing a bit of a backup there. Traffic northbound on 55 between Route 171 and the 94 East Ramp. And finally, traffic northbound on 294 between Route 20 and Highway 34. Back to you, Chief. See now, Eliani, do we have Joel? Great. Joel, you with us? Good morning, Chief. Hey, how are you? So Eliani should should have known. How you doing? Doing good. She should have recognized as a musician lady that when you said at the beach, she she should have made the, the jump to, but don't go near the water. Now, that was an album that the Beach Boys came out with when they got back together, remember? In your age? <laughs> uh, that might even uh, predate me a little bit, Chief. I've never gone head-to-head with you on the age. But, oh, God. Uh, so, surf's up at, uh, at, at uh, Michigan Avenue and the beach? Pretty much, yeah. It's been pretty windy. So, what's up, man? What, what do you make yeah. of the market? What do you make of this bill? What would you make of yesterday? It was kind of weird, wasn't it? Uh, well, I, I know we could talk for hours about the Inflation Reduction Act and uh, new names for it. Uh, the price action yesterday, I mean, we were set to have a real good day, and then you got that revenue warning from NVIDIA. And we're just hanging out, Chief. I heard you just talk about what the S&Ps were doing this morning. I mean, this is Consolidation Station. I mean, this market doesn't know what to do. They're trying to bust out, you know, continue this quote-unquote bear market rally. And they can. And then the bears try and press it down and take out, you know, the lows, which just wind it up. So I wish I could tell your listening audience which way it's going to go. 
But I don't. It's just consolidation. Well, and, and you know what? Consolidation, that, that leads to breakouts. Well, Joe, how uh, zero in on this, on this chip stuff. Everybody in the world is, is you know, going to give their left arm to get more chips, allegedly. Ford, GM, the whole world's shortage of chips. How in God's name could the revenue be going down for these guys? I don't know. Well, I mean, they blamed it on gaming. They blamed it on gaming. And, I don't, and the other thing I would say would be, you know, everyone's not home on their Xbox now, right, because the pandemic's over. So they're not playing the games. I don't know, you know, Bitcoin mining, I, I don't consider that gaming. Uh, but that is certainly, uh, you know, maybe a bit into it. And then what about do they not have the supplies to make the chips? They made it sound it was more decreasing demand, but who knows? I mean, who knows what the problem is? But the market does what the market does, and it, it, it still uh, shrugged it off during the regular session. So I can't figure, I just can't figure this market out right now, Chief. Well, looked a couple times yesterday. We might pull the rug out from under it, then we didn't. Came right back up, like you said. Yeah. I mean, just keep your eye on your levels. Um, what I like to do, I know your investors uh, you know, have all different time frames and trading styles, but when I look at the markets when they, they have this kind of moves, is I, I don't really necessarily worry about the high or the, you know, the, the daily highs or daily lows. I say, what's the daily close? What's my best mark in the S&P on this rally? That's just about where we stalled this morning. So there's four closes right in this uh, 4150 area. We stalled there last night, and it's just, you know, we're walking a tightrope. I, I don't know what's going to be the catalyst to push us higher, and if China wasn't the catalyst to push us lower, I don't know. But uh, I got a hot chief. Before I do, I just want to I'll send you some more information. My buddy Dennis and I are doing a, uh, a swing trading event on wow. August 18th. And uh, I'll send you the information so you can post it. But if they go to premarketprep.com, they can sign up for that. So there's uh, there's a cheap promo for the event coming up. But, okay. Um, that, that's all I got for you today. Uh, go blue. All right, buddy. Um, Bye. The uh, yeah, we have to make sure we promote that. Uh, those guys have those. Things. Yeah, swing, sounds good. Swing training is swing training is a lot of fun. Uh, and I've been. I've actually never been. I've actually like I've never like gone to like a spring. I've also, like also like. You know, I'm I'm Brazilian, so I, I pay attention more to soccer than anything. <laughs> Spring trading, not training. Oh, there's, oh sorry. <laughs> you just switched topics out of nowhere. No, he's no, no, talking about a spring trading event. Gotcha. Because what, what what people do, there, there's, there's, art, there's art, art. I never was good at this stuff, so I never really pushed it. But mm. uh, we've had guys that, that on the show that have been good at it. Like there, There's different sorts of trading where you zero in on certain areas and you look at the relative values of stocks in the area. Swing, uh, swing trading is not the same as as pairs trading. I'm a little more familiar with that. Pairs trading is you you'll pick say a uh, an Exxon and a Chevron, mm. you know, two companies that are maybe in the same industry or whatever. Sure. And over a period of time, say Exxon, you know, I'm just pulling numbers out of my head, might be ten bucks more than Chevron. Now whether it should or shouldn't be, who knows? But the market it, and, you, and you might notice that every time it goes to like fourteen bucks difference, it'll come back to ten. Or if it goes down to six bucks difference, it goes back to ten, and sure. and you get sort of a pattern. Now, patterns obviously can be broken, right? I mean, it's not like you, you know, there's a law that says you have to get there, but right. some people will will play that for like a long period of time until and maybe make a couple of bucks here and there, and then all of a sudden one day, you know, the, the pattern's broken. It goes to twenty dollars or it goes to even. Uh, so if if you get out, you know, if you're smart enough to to not to to bag it once it's over with, but some people will do that. A lot of people. I mean, even some of my clients. It, 
without even knowing they're doing it, uh, they'll say, well, I've got, uh, you know, well, they might have some S&Ps and they might have some Qs and they might have some Russell. And they'll say, yeah, but look at the Russell's been up the last month, you know, 8% and the Qs are only up 4%. You know, let's let's put the additional money in the Qs or something like that. Yeah. So, and they're sort of doing the same thing. Even though there's, you know, nobody's done a, a real huge rigorous study on whether or not, you know, the, the, the Qs should be up higher than the, than the Russell, uh, the idea is that the, the three main averages over the long pull maybe should move somewhat together, and if one gets ahead of itself, you might want to lay off that one for a while. It, it's not rigorous at all, but it's but but swing trading is is kind of momentum trading a little bit. But I bet I bet he does a nice job, and I bet it's kind of fun to go to that stuff. Um, hmm. it's just, it's just whenever you do this kind of stuff, some of it's not always tradable. You're not going to make money at it sometime, but it's it's just another arrow in the quiver. You know, what I'm saying just another thing to think about. Well, yeah, because you don't want to put all your eggs right. in one basket. But uh, you know, it was interesting. Brennan brought up the uh, the part about um, as as I as everybody knows, I drive a Chevy truck. Uh, you drive a house. I drive a house. <laughs> the, uh, well, I mean, they just say use the '87 Actane. Yeah. You know, so and, and basically in the owner's manual, it'll tell you don't do '89, don't do '91. All you're doing is basically throwing money away. And also, you're driving a house. <laughs> right. But but you know, but the point being is when, when before Eliani, the scary, the scary part when you went and got gas, you either got regular or you got ethyl. Right. right. I've, ever heard, I've ever heard that term. So what what was ethyl? I don't know. Ethyl had something added to the gas. Probably, well, regular probably had some of it in there. It went up the octane. It was something called tetraethyl lead. It was one, it was one of the most poisonous things on the planet. Jesus. Right? And when and when, when you saw it, you know, if, I don't know, my brother is really good at this. He used to work at uh, JTX, which made tra- uh, railroad tank cars. When you look at the tank car, <laughs> you can, you, he could, I can't, but if you look at the size of the tank car, you can tell what's in it. Right. Because there are different sizes for different weights and so forth. Well, the ones that used to bring, they were these little tiny things. They looked like something out of the military. They were like armored. They were, they were absolutely, they were, they were huge. Because tetraethyl lead was very heavy. And oh, by the way, if it ever spilled, you like screwed up a whole community. So you, you could tell it was a tetraethyl, you could tell it was an, a tetraethyl lead car. And, and when they drained them, when they wanted to get rid of them, I think they used to fill them with concrete and dump them in the sea or something. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> but, man. But, but, I mean, all it took was, like, a couple of tablespoons of, of this stuff in, like, you know, a big, huge gas tank in a gas station to up your octane from, like, 89 to, say, 94 or 96. Right. Because all the old cars, you needed, like, 96 octane because they had a, a huge compression ratio compared to today. <laughs> all right, what's the compression ratio? I don't know. You tell me. Um, when the gas, when you're... The piston compresses, or when it, when it, when it compresses and, and the gas explodes from the spark, it blows. It basically sends the piston back down. That's where you get the power in your internal combustion engine. Ah. Well, depending on how powerful the the, the the gas is, the bigger the compression ratio can be. I mean, now mostly they're eight and a half or nine. My sixty-five Oldsmobile had like a ten and a half because the gas was more powerful. You had to use ethyl gas. Hmm. And so, so the the more pop you can get in there. The, the, the bigger your compression ratio could be and, and, the, and the more horsepower you have. All righty then. Well, on that note, should we go to break? Yeah, we should go to break. <laughs> SP Futures down 15. SP Futures down 91. Mr. Hab, Mr. Kenny, pull here and we come back. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 
20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, owner of Home Source Realty and frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks Radio Show. If you're thinking about purchasing real estate, this summer could be a good time to shop around. Whether you're a novice or seasoned investor, low interest rates, and a good inventory make adding bricks-and-mortar investment to your portfolio an interesting possibility. Many a great fortune has begun with the purchase of property. Call me today for your personal investment consultation, and I would be happy to get you started on your path to prosperity. You can reach me at Audrey Johnson at Realtor.com or call me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market, along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Eliani on the board. SP Futures down 15. NASDAQ Futures down 90. I'm leaking here. We're up last night almost this much, so we've, we've made a turnaround just like we did yesterday. We have Mr. Kenny. Kenny, are you with us? I'm here. I'm here. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you? All right. Uh, rumor has it you were over having dinner at uh, Trump's place when they, had, when they got raided. <laughs> no. I wasn't, but I got to make you laugh. I lived, uh, I, I lived about a mile from Mar-a-Lago up until June of this year, so it was always you know, interesting when Yo. he was in town. When he was president, it was a disaster, because every time he came to town, they blocked off the roads, and they had Secret Service, they had the police, and all that stuff. But now that he's the ex-president, they don't nearly do all that, but it's always very kind of exciting to drive by there. I can only imagine last, what last night was like. I still oh, can't believe that. I was like, "Oh my gosh, it finally happened!" Didn't it? Uh, <laughs> who who you stole? Was yeah, it? I, listen. They just elevated. You know, they just changed the whole the whole tone to what's going to happen over the next two and a half months. And so, listen, it is. It's going to be what it's going to be, right? Yeah, I don't. Uh, could the guy have been that much of a goofball that, that that these guys were actually getting traction on this stuff? I can't believe it. Yeah. They, 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 I, I can't believe that they're getting traction on all this stuff yet. The old Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, China, Ukraine, Russia thing gets you know gets pushed to the you know to the back pages and don't even talks about it. Oh sure, it well, just, of course. It yeah. just screams. It just screams politics, right? Well, sure it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, I guess you know they, they wouldn't want you and I there, Kenny, because we might actually go after everybody who's guilty without regard which which yeah. side they're on. Yeah, I know. We're, we're, <laughs> but nobody wants to do that. Why go after your side? Hey, explain something to me, will you? How uh, all we've done is talk, you and I, well, not all we've done, we've done all, all kinds of stuff, but one of the themes for the last, what, two and a half years has yep. been nobody can get these chips. You can't buy a car, you can't buy this, you can't buy anything. And yet, I, yet 
the companies that are doing the worst are the chip companies. You would think, if you and I would have said, if they would have said, Kenny, Chief, two years ago, what companies would you want to own or who's make the most money since there's this worldwide chip shortage? We might have said, God, we want to own chip people. They can charge wherever they want. And yet, yeah. they can't get out of their own way. Intel can't get anywhere. He's, now, NVIDIA's down from what, 3-something to 170-something? So What's yeah. going on here? I, I, I cannot figure Yeah, and NVIDIA, now, you know, you saw their announcement yesterday, and I imagine, I put up my notes this morning, that they're sitting there wondering in the C-suite, okay, they see these negative results coming, so what do we do? Do we pre-announce and take the hit today, or do we wait until August? I think part of it is NVIDIA's, you know, it, I mean, they're in every second spot. They're also in gaming, right? And I will say that ever since the world has opened back up and people want to travel, they want to get out, they don't want to sit in front of their, 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 their game boxes, their computers all day like they did for a year and a half. So some of that does make sense uh, in, terms of, in terms of the decline. The other one is just the, you know, the supply chain issue continues to be a problem. Um, and so I'm not necessarily surprised. I was kind of surprised at the extent to which um, uh, the miss is, you know, down 19% or something from 8.1, the expectation is 6.1. So that was a little bit surprising to me. But, look, I still like the semis. I still think the, the NVIDIA thing that I own, I have to probably buy some more today. Um, because I, I think in the long-term semis, you know, they, they, they're in every single thing we do, we touch, we play with, we, we whatever, and it's going to continue to be that way. Okay, how do you, uh, and I, I, I agree with your, your sentiment, I mean, if you like a company, you like an industry, and for whatever reason, that week or month, it seems to be getting beaten up on, uh, and your instinct is you, you, you probably want to buy some more if you can't, right? Yeah. Especially if you had the first part protected, you're surely going to yeah, roll your puts down. But yeah, I, I mean, certainly I do. I like the name, right? But, and it's uh, and I like the industry. I think you know, it's, I think it's a tough time right now. But in the end, I think it's going to come out, uh, come out on top. But how it's do you? It's only going to get. It's only going to get more. Technology is only going to continue to refine and increase and impact every part of our life. Well, I, I get what you're saying. I but I'm looking at this is Intel. And by the way, every 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 earnings play, I've played Intel to be. I haven't played every single one of them, but I've done, when I say play, I've had a time spread on um, for earnings, and I usually did it like at the money, maybe a little above the money. I'm kidding, I'm getting, I've gotten spanked every time. I mean, uh, I mean yeah. the stock is down from 55 to 35, and a company that's, I'm looking at this, and by the way, for, I, I started this by saying I agree with you, but, I'm gonna, but if I was in your shoes, and all of a sudden I'm putting more money in, I'm going to say, what is everybody else seeing here that I'm not? I mean, I... I don't know if there is something, well, but but you have to ask funny. yourself that question. It's funny because Intel is not a name that I own, although the chart looks very much like Nvidia. Yeah. Um, but AMD, on the other hand, looks completely different. Look at AMD, right? right? Yeah. I about a month ago, and it has made really a nice advance. Um, but but I, it, I, you know, it's been confusing, especially this quarter because you never really know you know is negative news going to be positive news is negative news going to be negative news and how and how is the market going to interpret it and does it depend on the day that it's interpreting it is the is the broader news positive or negative and so on a day when the news is positive do they tend to do they tend to ignore the negative news and go for it anyway and when it's negative they tend to exacerbate the negative news right yeah so, I, uh, so i think you just have to be confident in you know, names you like, the research you've done, the homework you've done, and stick with your, you know, stick with your guns. In this case, I'm going to stick with NVIDIA just because I've owned it, I like the story, um, and I'm confident. Well, I, I, I hope you're right, because it's the, 
Well, a couple of the firms that I do business with, it's probably their second biggest holding after Apple. So the last thing I want to do is watch <laughs> the video go to 50 bucks. I'm a fan favorite. It's in everything, right? It's in every mutual fund owns it, every ETF owns it, every, every index fund owns it. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's out there, right? It, it is a fan favorite. And then individuals, every time you go to, you go out, you talk to somebody, everyone's always, oh, I own it, it's video, it's video. You know, it's, so it's a, it's, a, it's a big name, right? It's a name that has a lot of exposure. What's up? Shift here, gears here a little bit. We got a few minutes. Uh, I mean, I don't know. What, I don't know if you're much of a bond trader. I'm not, I never consider myself much of one. But once in a while, I mean, when I started the business and the bonds were eight and eight and a half percent bond was what sixty six. So I knew that was a buy at some point, Kenny. But I didn't know when. Of course, I was early. But somewhere along the line here, uh, we see the Fed and the short term rates are creeping up some. So the Fed's kind of doing what they say they're doing on that end of the curve. Yet this this massive rally. In the ten-year bonds, where this the, the curve is dropped down to this being uh, upside down here, some, yeah. some, somewhere, I think, and I'm going to ask you where. When do we want to sell the two-year and buy the ten? I mean, it is, when I say buy, you know, I mean buy the rates, which means sell a ten-year bond and buy the two. Actually, the opposite. Yeah, I will tell you, I'm I'm actually very surprised. I'm not a bond trader. It's not what I did my whole life, but I am surprised. That considering the stance of the Fed and what they're and, and what they're projecting going out and the rate of inflation and you know now the market's repricing a 75 basis point hike in September, although I guess we'll see after tomorrow and Thursday CPI PPI, that may give them an opportunity to back off back to 50 basis points. But I'm confused on why the bond market is reacting the way it is, right? With rates yeah. going up, um, so I'm just as confused. So I'm not probably the right person to ask that question. Uh, my one quick question on the numbers that are coming out tomorrow. Well, well, as with me, Kenny, though, it's always going to be a two-part question. If you if you look at the the money supply bulge and what the Fed was doing to the to the to the currency for yeah. the last three years, I'm going to say that the, the 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 accelerator has been turned off on the inflation. Yet, I'm having trouble, just like back in the '80s, having trouble to figure out how much of it is yet to to come through the system that they haven't counted yet. Now. They haven't counted any of the the rent and other stuff yet, so that's all all to, all to come. But the PPI, right. the last few months, even though the rate has been high, it's actually been way worse than that because the good side of it has been over two percent a month. So that yeah. part still needs to squeeze through. I guess help me out here. Even though I think the accelerant has been put out, I I think we might have a real lot of stuff still coming through the pipeline, even though. You and I may think that the you know that the push is off. I'm, I think the numbers are still going to be bad for a while. Yeah, listen, uh, two things. Number one, you're going in and out of me, so I'm hearing every third right. word you're saying. But I think I I think I understand what you're asking. I agree with you. I think that uh, I think that CPI is going to remain elevated. But here's what's going to happen. I think if it if it shows a slight decline this month, which is which is expected to show. Other than ex food and energy year over year, which is supposed to be up, everything else is supposed to be down a little bit. You can imagine the Fed and the administration got to stand up and go, "Look what we did, and we're succeeding, oh, yeah. and everything we avoided a recession, and we got inflation under control, and we deserve to be here for another two years." All that—that's what you're going to hear on Wednesday at you know nine o'clock once after the CPI comes out, if it comes out that way. But I agree with you; I think it's going to remain elevated because even if it comes in, it's still nine percent. Right, uh, and so um, it's going to, and I think it's going to remain there. So I think we've got inflation sticking around for a while. I don't think it's going to come in. You know, it's not going back to two percent. I don't think it's going back to five percent. No. 
uh, in the next six months, right? I think it's going to be a long road. It took us a while to get here. It's going to take us a while to get out. How they, how, they, how or if are they going to sneak the, the rent and home prices in there, which they haven't done yet? They're going to have to do that one of these days. Yeah, no, I know that. It's very interesting. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe they'll try to keep it out as long as they can. God knows. They're changing the definition of everything now, so um, I guess they'll change the definition of this, too. Well, maybe I mean, maybe for us, who came out the other day, Loretta Messer came out the other day, said, "No, I don't think the inverted yield curve tells you anything about the way the economy is going." Meanwhile, for millennium, for our whole lives, every time the yield curve inverted, it was all everyone all everyone talked about was here comes the recession. Over the summer, over the late spring, when it inverted for all of twenty minutes, the CNBC was crazy. Oh my God, it inverted the recession coming. Now it's been inverted for seven weeks. And suddenly, it doesn't mean anything anymore. It's all it's all in how you present it, Kenny. You know that. All in how, it's like food, right? <laughs> That's what right. you present. <laughs> By the way, uh, if you see in, in one of your restaurants in Boston, the kopi fish, that's the that's the the Asian carp. They've renamed it. So <laughs> we're de- redefining <laughs> everything. But take, <laughs> take care of yourself. Have a nice week. SP Futures down fourteen. Nasdaq Futures down eighty eight. Back with the professor, Mr. Helsner. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, owner of Home Source Realty and frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks Radio Show. If you're thinking about purchasing real estate, this summer could be a good time to shop around. Whether you're a novice or seasoned investor, low interest rates, and a good inventory make adding bricks-and-mortar investment to your portfolio an interesting possibility. Many a great fortune has begun with the purchase of property. Call me today for your personal investment consultation, and I would be happy to get you started on your path to prosperity. You can reach me at Audrey Johnson at Realtor.com or call me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control!
control here, right now, right here. Lone Wolfpack, Saxon Jacks. I'm Tom Eliani on the board. SP Futures down 14. NASDAQ Futures down 88. We've been we're up last night. Came in. We're somewhat flat now. We've been leaking here. A lot of this has to do with the semiconductor area. Uh, still heading south there. NVIDIA's down. Well, that's only down 450. Now it was down a little more earlier. But 173 was 192 Friday night. So that area is having all kinds of trouble, and I don't understand why. But there's huge demand for all these uh, chips. But uh, do we have the professor? I'm here. Professor, uh, I don't expect you to be a a chip maven, but just give a little bit of background on what the little bit I know on, on chips. We talk about gaming chips and all the other. You remember uh, the Y2K fiasco The uh, when everything was going to? Yeah. Well, I actually was on I was on the SIBO uh, board at the time, and uh, and I was on the double secret committee regarding uh, what are we going to do about Y2K. And... It was pretty interesting because in those days, your lines of code, like every every fifth line of code had a date in it or something. I, I have no idea why. I don't know nothing about codes. But the reason why people were so amazingly concerned was a place like the CBOE, at the time had the, the phone kept capacity of a town of like 50,000 people or something on the trading floor. It was absolutely incredible, the amount of phone lines and stuff. Well, every every handset had a chip or two in it. But they weren't chips designed for handsets they were like chips that were made and built for something better and didn't pass mustard and, and all of a sudden but they were good enough for a phone set so chips get totally I mean you could have the world's uh, best chip designed for you know some video gaming that I couldn't begin to un- comprehend but all of a sudden it doesn't pass inspection it could be the world's best chip for your car right because it, the capacity so they don't, they don't throw the thing out you know, they, they use it for another purpose. It's like, uh, you know, if you have a, a run for, I'm not expecting me to know anything about this, but if you have a, a run at uh, like a DuPont for some kind of fiber and it's supposed to be used for, you know, fine linens and it turns out it's a clunker where you can still stuff sleeping bags with it, right? You don't throw it out. So, but, so chips are kind of the same way. And I don't know anything about the industry, but it seems to me that all in all, the industry has had huge demand and that these stocks are going straight down. I mean, do you have any idea what's happening? I mean, Kenny seemed a little stumped, too. Yeah, I haven't really looked into that at all. So, just, well, I mean, the only thing I remember, I mean, I do remember uh, Office Space and how uh, they were uh, worried about the Y2K thing, but, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure about that, Tom. Yeah, well, you didn't, you didn't have any idea. All you knew is that all these handsets and all everything you had had chips in it, but you had no idea where they came from. Because it wasn't, wasn't like you bought the chips from a place and you could go into the software of every chip. So we were all f- afraid that like every s- random amounts of handsets just like wouldn't work because they didn't know they would turn off because it was now two thousand and one type of thing or two thousand. Yeah, it was anyway. It was crazy, what, a crazy what, world. What was your experience through the Y two K thing? You know what? Everything worked. <laughs> well, everything worked. Yeah. Well, you know what? What, what it forced the exchanges to do uh, a lot of the uh, stuff you would normally do in. Uh, uh, you know, every time something ages, of course, when you replace it, you replace it with newer stuff. So what it did was it, it forced the exchange to, you know, these are ten things we might be doing in the next two years. Well, we did it. We pulled them up two years. So we replaced a lot of stuff beforehand and a lot of old code 
that we probably would have. Yeah, that's right. That was that's what was going along going along uh, with a lot of companies. They yeah. were just changing their technology. There was a big there, there was a big boom in IT hirings too, um, right before the changeover. So firms probably just ended up replacing technology that they would have replaced. Normally, they just probably fast-forwarded they did, they did. 1999, exactly. right? Well, it was always a, in the industry, uh, when I first started, well, before I started, the industry, the, the big, the big uh, uh, question always was, what, what if we did a million contracts a day? It was all trade match. You know, people, people would, uh, you'd, you'd, you'd write the stuff out on your trading cards, and those would go be key-punched. They'd go somewhere, and they'd match up all the trades, and the out-trades would pop out, and then they'd, Correct people like me with crummy writing. They correct those, and there'd be a second run. And finally, you'd have your actual. But it was all trade match was the name of the game, okay? Because uh, there weren't that many stocks, uh, and there weren't that many expirations, and, and there weren't that many strikes. And actually, little known favor college. Guess what computer system they essentially based the whole trade match system on? You might get this if you think for a second. Think way back. Elian, I don't think we'd get it. <laughs> the the United Airlines ticket system because what was that? oh really because that was a trade match system right you match people to airplanes and that was the basis of the CBOE's trade match system now of course as time went by you left the the, the, the basic trade match system in place but then all your other stuff became more and more important the amount of quotes you disseminated became way more of a drain on your system than the trade match it got to the point where we, we could have done, you know, 90 bazillion trades a day, and it wouldn't have mattered. It was because it was how many how many quotes per nanosecond we were starting to we were starting to send out became. So all of a sudden, you got all these systems basically hung on the side of the original system that all it did now was trade match. So it's it's, you know, it's that, pretty fascinating. You know that that brings up an interesting thing that I discovered um, when I was doing research on the welfare reform. They had the old aid to families with dependent children system. And then in 1996, they they uh, implemented temporary assistance for needy families. And I had written a paper hypothesizing that the time limits that TANF ushered in could be, you could run around them okay. by just moving across state lines. Because it was, a, it was a, states were required to limit the uh, number of benefits to five years. And every state had different systems, different programs, and different definitions for work. But when I, when I came across something in California, it was really interesting. Within California, they were using the old AFDC system ca- uh, computers, right? And they were finding people, when they were looking for time limits, when they were trying to enforce time limits, they were finding people who were double-dipping in two different counties. Wow. You know, they found the double dipping, like in Portland and Vancouver, right? So they found it along the borders, but they also found it within counties of California where people were enrolled in TANF at the same time in two different counties because these systems were not set up to share data, right? And they started looking for it. They they started looking for this when that five-year time limit was imposed. So I, I found that really interesting. Well, that's what essentially what, what put Enron on the map 
with all the money they were making. They, 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 they again picked on the state of California, which is, has proven themselves to be totally ignorant in these things a few times. Didn't they have, they had a, a didn't they have huge amounts of uh, price controls and the energy inside the state, right? But if they had to buy, yeah. it, if they had to buy it on an emergency basis from outside the state, they could pay whatever they wanted. So didn't Enron like essentially ship power out of California, like to Oregon or someplace, into the grid and bring it back in through Nevada and then charge them three times as much for their own power? Or some, some yeah, reason. I mean, anytime Gibber <laughs> puts up a speed bump, I mean, people drive around it, right? Yeah, most I, people. I think most people drive over it. They kind of slow down. But I think I think a lot of people will just drive around it. Well, I mean, people right? were, t- were selling them back their own power for like three times yeah. as much. <laughs> it was it was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of it? If you weren't if you weren't screwing the taxpayer, it was it was like beautiful. It was, it was, I mean, that was an interesting arbitrage, right? Oh yeah. Here, I'll sell you your same yeah. stuff back. <laughs> God. <laughs> anyway, the. Uh, well, I think the same thing was going on with uh, aluminum. I remember talking to my professor about something happening at aluminum up in Kaiser. Aluminum up in Spokane, Washington, and it ended up being on my uh, qualifying exam for my PhD program. <laughs> and I forget the specifics on it. It was like uh, it was better for them to shut down than to operate or something. Oh, it had some good. That was like twenty some years ago. But something I suggest was talking to my professor about. He wrote our qualifying exams for microeconomics. Ended up being on my core exam. Well, are we? Uh, are you? Are you running around changing the definitions of everything you do, like the government? You know, I wish I could, but my wife has a really good memory, so I don't get away with it. So you don't you don't get to look in the mirror and see and tell your wife you're like the young Earl Flynn or anything like that, or or Arnold? No, no, no. It doesn't my work. kids, my kids and my wife, I'm the guy that takes them to school, so well, I have no power. It's a uh, what is what is Kevin O'Neill said. No matter how powerful a man you are, your fourteen-year-old still thinks you're an idiot, or something. <laughs> something along those lines. That's pretty, that's pretty right on. That's pretty right well, my on. My kids still think I'm. To my kids, I'm still a superhero, but how old they are have they? no idea what economics is. How old are they? Well, they're they're under ten, right? Oh, well, the triplets are eight, and Joseph's thirteen. So, so he, he's starting to get to the point where you don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, what do you make of uh, I? I mean, I'm going to say these guys are getting pretty good at it. I, I blame this on Slick Willie, Bill Clinton, and I probably shouldn't, but uh, but he was the first guy that I, that I heard of that actually had focus groups before he gave speeches to find out how what he said was going to be received by people, which is so bizarre. Telling people what they want to hear. I mean, politicians we know have done it for a while, but he took it to a new level. But uh, these bills that keep coming out, and you start reading the detail, and you go, "God, are these guys believing the stuff themselves?" I mean, you, you really have well, to wonder. Senator Sanders, he said that the Inflation Reduction Act is not going to reduce inflation. He said it'll have a minimal minimal impact. So instead of, I mean, if he's right, and I don't think he is, the Inflation Reduction Act Act will itself reduce inflation from nine point one to nine. According to Senator Sanders, where, where does where does he even get so, that? where does he even get that? What is one is well, he, he he got he got that conclusion from the CBO. So hell, I, I I would love to grill the people at the CBO. What in here is going to re- reduce anything? 
Well, I think the CBO, to me, is... I'm not saying anything negative about the people that work there, but if you're working for the CBO, you're probably in favor of the state. You're probably in favor of, you know, Keynesian approaches to economics. I mean, if you're getting a PhD in economics, and your ultimate goal is to be an advisor to politicians instead of being a professor, you're probably going to be of that mindset that intervention is a great thing. So you have these internal biases. You know, I don't see a lot of Austrian economists or free market economists. I don't, th- I don't even see them being able to get a job at the CBO. Well, right. I mean, I, I, and I think that what the CBO, the CBO, what the CBO fails to do is it, it fails to understand that uh, economic freedom has a growth aspect to it. The more economic freedom a country has, the more it's going to grow, the more it's going to compound, and I think it underestimates all of that. Well, it, I mean, I, uh, as you know, this week I'll be doing it again. I seriously uh, opine in the negative about. The CPI and the PPI numbers. I mean, I just go down the list and I read them. I mean, it's not like I'm giving my uh, my, my feeling to uh, the uh, listeners. I mean, I guess I am. Um, but all you, all you have to do is read the stuff. Let's see. Twenty uh, percent uh, home price increase last year, according to Case Shiller. Mortgage rates, even though they slipped back down, some are up thirty percent. Uh, let's see. If we do the math there, that means the cost of home ownership. Has to be up twenty five thirty minimum, and yet the CPI's got it up five. Now I I just read that off. I don't. I'm not trying to. I would never accuse somebody working at the CPI for not going to work and doing his best or his or her best to let you know that the price of rice or wheat or whatever it is actually went up or down a penny from last month. And what the, I think those people probably work pretty hard with all the detail and stuff that's there, and somewhere between them. Somebody, I'll use the term, edits it. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I'm gonna, yeah. I, I would bet you that if we had a conversation with, with an economist at the CBO, he or she would not be an idiot. They would sit there and go, "What are you talking about? We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna argue with these drug companies on ten of their drugs, and so Medicare is gonna drop it down a little bit, and all they're gonna do is raise the price to everybody else." I mean, you and I know that because the general level inflation is set by money supply, not by drug companies. But we also yeah. know that well, inflation, inflation always meant up until recently. Inflation meant excessive money growth, right? Right. Well, but now it's. Yeah. But we also know that if it was in like '73, if it was, if the Arabs had the oil embargo and it and it, and it it started out in oil, it's like it's like silly putty. You squeeze it here and it pops out some other place. So you can't you can't look at individual people when you have a general or individual goods when you have a a general inflation problem. Now people are telling you. Now the gas prices are coming down. All of a sudden, we're okay. No, it just means that something else is going up, right? Maybe. Well, I think I think the economy's slowing because right. in Utah, gas prices are still, you know, four sixty, four seventy a gallon. They are in there too. Pennsylvania, they were, you know, they were down to what three sixty. But I think recession is harder in different places, and I think the economy still might be doing all right in Utah. But in other places, it might be worse. So, if people are living in a in a in a state where it's not doing so well, they're not going to be able to drive as much. And maybe they're working that multiple job 
to afford it. So they can't take a vacation, right? So demand is going to be a lot lower in other states than it is in people may be able to work one job. But you so, and I have a slightly different view of of how how a lot of this I'll use the term all works because I look at the uh, our Bob. I'm sure you do too once in a while. Um, our Bob is what uh, three ninety five, something along those lines. No, it's two ninety five. So over a long period of time, I've sort of noticed that your the price of gas, like in the burbs, not in the city, is roughly eighty to ninety cents above our Bob. But now we're a dollar over that, and yet the state of Indiana has been a dollar cheaper than Orland now for six weeks. So, I mean, I, I think I try and be as much of a free a free economic guy as you are, but I'm sitting there going, if I'm running the antitrust department, I'm saying, all right, wait a minute. How exactly has the stuff managed to drop a dollar in Indiana and not in Illinois? Now, I, I think the, the answer might be as, as simple and as stupid as Chicago has the, the Chicago blend and only one or two refineries are doing it. Yeah, there, there's, there, I think there's like 18 to 20 different blends yeah. throughout the United States, right? Right. So, so I think I think cities, I think cities like Chicago are going to have uh, probably what's considered to be more environmentally friendly blends, well, right? But now, okay. Now my my next question is: if if you and I are the two headed monsters sitting in the Oval Office, I might want to say, hey, hey guys, you know, I'm too old of a cat to get screwed by a kitten. I mean, are, are these guys using the fact that there's only two or three refineries that make this, quote, blend? Are, are we driving the gas through Chicago to Indiana and charging a buck cheaper, and is there really that much difference in this blend? Because I think the answer is no. I mean, are, I mean are, are we using this as an excuse to screw, screw the Chicago people a dollar a gallon? I guess is the... the, the well, if you're, if, you're the, if you're a refiner and you're producing the only blend... You essentially have a monopoly in that right. blend, right? So you can monopoly price it a bit, right? I think there's, I think there's two or three people here. I think Whiting and the one in Bolingbrook and maybe the one down by Joliet, there might be two or three refineries that produce the blend. So, yeah. But my other question is, are they using if, this if as they're, an excuse? If their customers, if their wholesale customers uh, are kind of locked in to their certain relationships, then that would increase the monopoly right. pricing power of the um, refiners too, right? Well, and if they are acting as monopolists, don't we have laws against that, or we we redefine those too? Well, we have laws against monopolists, but I think most monopolies are propped up and supported by government regulations. So the, the regulations themselves are sold as a way to break the monopoly, but I think the way they're used is to create tar- cartels and monopolies. Right. I mean, all you got to do is look at the, but the a dollar, baby food fiasco, right? But a dollar a gallon for six million people for four months is like a lot of dough. I, I think I think maybe what's kind of going on, too, is I think most people at or below the median household income are really struggling, right? And they're not driving much. I think they're driving is down a lot, especially if they're working a second job to afford uh, the, this inflation. So I don't think there's a lot of, maybe there's not a lot of mixing between drivers. Like, there's nobody driving from Chicago into Indiana then back. Hey, with my Suburban, I'm, gas, my, right? my Suburban, I'm 42-gallon tank, I'm almost ready to go over there and I, it, it'll work out. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I think by the time he drove there and back, I think that additional cost of traveling that far to get that gas might be the difference. It might, might be a break-even point there, right? Well, especially if I go now, over to Now, if it gets any wider, then you have an economic economic incentive to drive all the way over to Indiana, right? Well, 42 bucks a lot, if I had it really empty. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, did you? Uh, did we send this to you? I don't think we did, but I, I will. Uh, uh, Carl, of course, found this thing. God, what the hell's the name of it? Everything you want to know about anything. U.S. Energy Information Administration. Petroleum and other liquids. Everything you want to know about gasoline, prices, and you name it. Um, but what they say here, the, the two ones that maybe you should actually throw this in your class. Uh, of course, their definition here is, is kind of wrong. They say U.S. gasoline demand, and you and I know that it's not demand, it's quantity demanded, correct? Uh, because the curve... Anyway, from uh, we're, we're yeah, well, demand represents lots of different quantity demands at certain prices, right? Okay. So people kind of mix that up; they conflate it. All right, so in twenty twenty one, we were nine point five million barrels per day of gasoline used in this country. We're now uh, eight point five five, so we're down, you know, a million barrels a day. Say, so what is that? Eleven, twelve percent an actual gasoline used in the country, and I'm going to say the price is up 25%. So the gasoline companies are uh, actually doing the uh, uh, way better, right? Yeah, I think the, you know, as the demand for gasoline falls, the price rises much faster. Yeah. So in that situation the revenues have increased, right? Because they're on that side of the, the revenue curve, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's like Russia. Russia, I think Russia at some point had a 20% drop in sales, but a 50% increase in revenues. Well, according to this thing here, uh, it's, they only went up to 620 so uh, until June. Uh, last year, a year ago, well, 820 I got to move my bottom of this thing, was uh, 337 U.S. Uh, they give you every every region in the country here it was three thirty seven last last August second, and I think now it was uh, it's five thirty five or something. So that's that's up what two bucks on top of three. So that's that forty five percent, forty percent. So your the amount of gasoline purchase is down twelve, and the price is up forty. So what the, in total revenue they're still up what twenty five or thirty, even though they sold less gas. That's why you have to be real careful with these when people come out with these revenue numbers, right? Yeah. Well, the revenue revenue numbers are all based off of uh, nominal prices. So if inflation is 9% and sales are 12% and increase 12%, then real sales have increased by 3%, right? Right. So you got got to be really careful that Walmart, I think Walmart said their sales were up 6%, and then their stock price, they announced their sales were up 6% in Q2, but their their stock price dropped 10%. It's just because I think investors know that in real terms their sales are down, which is, is which is problematic, given that we're not supposed to be in a recession, right? Well, and you and Walmart I know, is recession proof. You and I know that we have been in a, the. If you look at individual people, and I'm not, I don't know the, the full numbers. I'll stay out of that argument. You know, in terms of quarter GDP or whatever, I'm going to say that eighty to eighty-five percent of the people in this country are in a recession. Yeah, and, and Biden's not 
Biden's not in recession. No. The state bureaucrats aren't in recession. They're getting nine, ten percent increases in their pay. They're not here. So they're I mean, they're not in recession. They're, yeah. they're not here. I don't mean. I don't think the people, yeah. like the people, the, the the everyday people who work for the Secretary of State or something, I doubt yeah. very seriously if they're getting a nine percent raise. No, I, I I don't think. I think the upper echelon, they're doing fine because you know Fauci's making almost five hundred thousand a year, right. and you know. Twenty percent food inflation is not going to hurt him at all, right? No, but I here yeah. here's uh, I guess I I have a question. Why? And I and I haven't read these contracts because who knows what's there's been two major union settlements of strikes here. One where the people who work in the uh, uh, the aggregate people that work like in the uh, um, what do you call them the big holes in the ground they pull out the uh, stone from uh, quarries, uh, and we had yeah. construction was slowed down, and we have Boeing. Just uh, did something in the Midwest, and they, at both of them were almost the same number, though. You know, five, fifteen percent increase over three years. If there's no cola in there, how how the hell is that a positive move? It, I mean, that means they're going to lose five percent a year. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, at Westminster, it's even worse. I mean, we're getting one percent, and I've been getting maybe one percent to zero percent. Best year. Two percent annually since two thousand thirteen. Wow. So we're getting hammered here. Well, I was a uh, I was the inflation guy at Pullman, right? I've probably told you the story a hundred times. And I'm sitting there going through how much the raises are going to get. Another couple of guys that me, I did it all myself. What the what the increase is going to be that quarter for the union guys? Because they had a it wasn't a hundred percent. They got like seventy eighty percent of C, of uh, CPI. And then, uh, then, then of course they had their regular raises they were getting every year, say three percent or whatever. So they were staying even, yeah. maybe a little ahead. So we just got done doing this stuff, and now the raises are coming out for the the I guess what do you call them, white collar people, the non exempt, whatever the hell I was salaried. So I go to my boss's office and he goes, I "Just want to let you know, as your review, you're doing a great job. We love what you're, how much you've grown in the last year, blah blah blah. So you're going to get the maximum amount of five percent. Now the inflation's like twelve, and I go." <laughs> I go. Well, Dude, you kept my pay seven percent. Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah. He said, like, "Well, thanks for nothing." Like, you know, like the girl in, in Caddyshack. Like, well, okay. I just, I just gave these other guys a three percent raise this quarter. <laughs> and I, anyway, but yeah, if, if you're not part of the group, you you got trouble. SP Futures down ten. As if you're down eighty, be right back. Stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas, and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know, all while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. 
We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, owner of Home Source Realty and frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks Radio Show. If you're thinking about purchasing real estate this summer, could be a good time to shop around. Whether you're a novice or seasoned investor, low interest rates, and a good inventory make adding bricks-and-mortar investment to your portfolio an interesting possibility. Many a great fortune has begun with the purchase of property. Call me today for your personal investment consultation, and I would be happy to get you started on your path to prosperity. You can reach me at Audrey Johnson at Realtor.com or call me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Load one page, stocks and jocks. I'm Eliani on the board. SP futures down 10, NASDAQ futures down 78. Big numbers just came out. We had uh, productivity only down 4.6% instead of 5 the labor costs are going up at a 10.8% annual rate versus 9.5 expected. We'll get comments on that uh, hell in a minute. Dow futures are down 23. So these numbers all just came piling out. They really haven't, haven't really moved the market all that much, a little bit. Uh, Renasia, Nikkei down 249.9%. Shanghai up 10.3%. Hang Seng down 42. Hanging in there 20,003, doing their best to stay over 20,000, and so far are. Yesterday was a mixed bag of we were up in the morning, then a couple times looked like we were going to fly and way down, and then we came back on the close to be almost a nothing day. Dow up 29, S&P down 5, NASDAQ down 13, but if you looked at what happened during the day, it was not that boring. In Europe, we got the DAX down 154 now, 1.1%. That's a move down. FTSE up 2, call that flat, kick around down 25.4%. Uh, we have bonds up 4 basis points to 2.80. We're going up 5 basis points to 0.95. Japan unchanged at 0.17. We've got oil... Making a little bit of a comeback today, up a buck twenty ninety one ninety six, back over ninety uh, was below ninety a couple days. Uh, Brent up one thirty six ninety eight oh one. Natural gas up twelve cents seven seventy. We've got gold up two thirty now. You know reasonable over eighteen hundred eighteen oh seven. Silver down two cents twenty fifty nine. Had a big move up yesterday. Uh, copper unchanged at three fifty nine. We've got Bitcoin down six oh eight to twenty three thousand three oh eight, but still pretty far over twenty thousand, which is kind of everybody's. A worry number. And we have the U.S. dollar versus the euro. Uh, the euro is now up 42, so the dollar's down a little bit at 1.023 uh, dollars to the euro. And Annie, what do you got for us, uh, Traffic Weather Sports? Thanks so much, Chief. Good morning, everyone. Currently 7.34 a.m. on August 9th. Let's actually talk about last night's games. Cubs beat the Nationals last night 6-3 with a rematch today at 7.05. Diamondbacks beat the Pirates 3-0. 
and they have a rematch today, 840. Doubleheader for the Sox today against the Royals at 310 and 640. Looking at weather in Chicago this morning, currently partly cloudy, 65 with a high of 76, low of 62 with an aerial flood watch over at, um, at the beach on Michigan. Uh, Lake Michigan, so please be mindful of uh, that, so just don't go to the beach today. And in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, cloudy skies, uh, heavy, 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 heavy rainfall uh, with an aerial flood watch there as well, so please be careful, everyone. Currently sitting at 77 degrees with a high of 104, low of 75. Looking at traffic in Chicago this morning, we've got traffic all over. Traffic eastbound on 290 between Route 20 all the way to downtown, approaching the 290 and 94 construction intersect. Traffic westbound on 290 between Holman and 17th. Uh, we have traffic northbound on 294 between West 127th and Highway 34 with an accident at, at 87th. We have traffic eastbound on I-90 between Lee Street and Lawrence and westbound between Lawrence and West Higgins. Traffic eastbound on I-94 between Tubi and Canal Port and westbound between South Lafayette and Old Orchard Road. Traffic northbound on 55 between Route 171 and South Damon. Traffic northbound on Lakeshore between 31st and East Grand and southbound on Lakeshore between Chicago and East McFetteridge. Back to you, Chief. Yeah. What do you think of these numbers, uh, Hal? We're, we're pushing uh, productivity now. When you, when you bring things back, isn't that that's a really odd number to try and to try and forecast, right? I mean, if you and I are making blue jeans and we send all the blue jean over to China, we go to infinite productivity, right? Well, the funny thing about the productivity number is people are celebrating that it falls four point six percent instead of by five point something percent. Yeah, that's like celebrating that we lost by three points instead of seven points, in my opinion. Well, if you were getting... Yeah, productivity falls 4.6%, man. That's yeah. that, That's not a good thing. Yeah, but if you were given productivity, five... It, productivity in the age of technology, right, I think should be increasing, not collapsing 4.6 point, percentage points per cent in quarter two. Well, I would agree. With what I'm, what I'm, so I find that really, really disturbing. What I'm saying is, is depending on how much... You bring back in-house versus how much you outsource, your productivity number gets really screwed up, right? Yeah, I, I suppose it does. Um, but I mean, if you look at the if you look at the unit labor cost, ten point eight percent. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. And it was what well, was it expected nine point three, and it was twelve point six prior to that, right? Yeah. So. And I tell you, these small businesses are getting squeezed, and 80% of small businesses have nine or fewer employees. So uh, it's not, and I think that's the reason why small businesses, I think about half of them are worried about going out of business um, maybe within the within a year or so. So to me, it's, it's not getting better, and all of this to me points to the fact that we're, we are in recession. I don't see how anybody can see it otherwise. I, I'm, I'm with you. Well, if you look at individual people, <laughs> they're in recession. If you look at some people yeah. giving you, that are, are dealing you the information, they're not. So. Well, I think Elon is kind of feeling the recession because I think the low interest rates and the federal subsidies were creating malinvestments within his company. And I think he's having a... A difficult time trying to raise the capital. I think the reason why he's balking on the Twitter purchase is one, he offered uh, to buy it when the Twitter price was high relative to it is today. But I also think he's feeling the crunch in trying to get payroll uh, financing. 
I don't think he has much cash. And I, so I think a guy like Elon Musk is starting to fill it because when the Fed sets interest rates really, really low and has really cheap credit, malinvestments pop up everywhere. And within an organization, you're going to have malinvestments because the interest rate is so low and the finance is so easy to come by that you'll finance things uh, that won't be profitable. So I think you're, I think these companies are finding out where their malinvestments are. And he, he even said that his factories are money-burning furnaces. So I think he's got malinvestments all throughout his organization. Well, that's what happens when you're when your interest rates for some people are like 2%. Yeah. Well, in real terms, you know, negative 3, negative 4, right? At least. Yeah. At least. Might be might be minus 6 for them, not for you and me. Cuz we can't we can't borrow with that. No way. No. Yeah. I have a I have a, a question and this is a, now if you had a if, if, if you and I were, now you are a professor. If we were professors at a place where, where they threw a whole bunch of peeps at us, right? We had a bunch of people we could tell what to do, and they, would, they were dying to do stuff for us to get their PhDs and stuff. Because uh, I don't have one, but I'd have to get one too. The, uh, I, I think if you were to do a 25-year study, maybe 30-year study, uh, Hal, and again, I'll, I'll lob this one out there. You tell me I'm nuts. Feel free. Uh, I think if you do a 25, 30-year study, the, the offshoring and what we did to essentially labor, I'll just use that term, to labor over a 25 to 30 year period, put such a, 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 a thumbprint on people's raises and what labor was, quote, worth over a 30 year period. Because it was held, I'm going to use the term even constant, which you actually look at the numbers, it's damn near constant. Um, it caused all the other stuff to be overpriced taxes, leases, you name it, the price of restaurant equipment, all those things were able to push up because labor was artificially held down. And so when you look at the person who was making 10 bucks an hour in a restaurant, whatever they were doing, you know, dishes, you name it, half of them were maybe line cooks, the fact that they're now, they, they should have been, if you looked at the inflation rate and everything else for the last 30 years, they should have been making 22 to start with. And if they were, if that was when you and I opened up a restaurant and we said, okay, we got to pay these people 22 bucks an hour, like maybe we should have, instead of 10, I don't think we would have signed the same lease that we signed. I don't think the owner of the building would have gotten his... What I'm saying is, because we've held the labor costs down for uh, 22 years, I think artificially, or 25 years, it's caused mispricing all the way through the place. I mean, the idea that the, that the guy... Who's the the line cook is now making twenty or twenty two bucks an hour? Really doesn't bother me at all. The fact that the restaurant's going under it means they can't pay the lease, paying him twenty two bucks an hour. The lease is too high, I think. I mean, or am I totally off base here? Well, I, I totally agree with that, and I think I think the problem that we have is we have too many too many central planners. The Fed, if you really think about what the Fed does, to me, if you define inflation as the percent increase in prices, the price level, whatever index you want to use, and the Fed's goal is price stability, to me that is the macro equivalent of capping prices or capping prices or setting price floors, right? That's the macro equivalent of it. And I think the Fed's 
purpose should be, if we're going to have the Fed, in a pragmatic sense we are going to have it, I think pretty much right, there's no going back to no Fed. But if we're going to have the Fed, I think the worst thing we could do, the, the best thing we could do, maybe the least bad thing we could do, is just have the Fed grow the money supply at, I don't know, population growth. Do you like Milton Friedman said, right? Yeah, that's what it should be. And this idea that it has to maximize employment and keep inflation at 2%, in my opinion, is wrong-headed. I think those are the... Those are the absolute worst goals the Fed could have. Well, I think that, it should just well, in a, uh, in a monitor M two and just grow it at two three percent, and that's it, and just leave the computer to do it. I, I think uh, that if you if you if you put your long term goals instead of short term out there, it's the same thing. Yeah, you know. But I have a question for you. And here's another study I would love to do. I mean, I guess the number the reason is they got nine trillion dollars on the balance sheet now, but. I could go back, uh, and, I, and, I, and I would, you know, and say, if I were to go back to the, to the year, uh, I'll go back to 2000, which is where I've done some studies on this stuff. And again, if I turned in my paper, who knows? You might have red lines through all of it. Uh, I'm going to say that if you if you look at the, you uh, know, Tom, I did give a student a student group one time at F minus. <laughs> oh God, I, I'd be I'd be I'd be getting that the F minus. Get out of here. <laughs> the uh, take take your pen and leave my class. And uh, don't don't forget your calculator. It doesn't work. Uh, I'm going to say well, that... Well, see, Tom, you can think, though, so I don't think you'd have that problem in my class. Well, I, if you can think and answer questions, right? I wouldn't ask any. I wouldn't you, you'll be fine. Well, I just... I, I think I could spin a yarn. I use the term yarn. That if, if you... If I redid the CPI going back 25 years, and the, and the part I really think I have to zero in on is the medical stuff and, and, and some of the... Uh, Tuition and things like that, I could I could paint a case that the tuition or the tuition the uh, uh, inflation going back to certainly two thousand, certainly two thousand and eight for sure has never been less than five percent a year. If you, well, I agree. If so I totally agree with that. But now, if if that's the case, and here what I'm leading to my question is a long winded question. Having said that, how is the Fed? Is it is it because the banks are all monopoly? How is the Fed able to essentially keep the the interest rates, the risk free rates, so artificially low? Why, why can't Grandma Hal Snar, a Hallette Snar, why isn't she getting eight percent in the bank? Why is she getting one? How, how do they manage to pull that? That's the single biggest difference between the inflation this time and the inflation in the seventies and eighties. In those days, if you had money, you participated, didn't participate, but you were held harmless on the inflation. If inflation was eight, you got ten at the bank. You got your two plus the eight. How were they able to pull this off? Where they've essentially eviscerated savers. I mean, uh, I mean, well, I think I think what it's done, though. I think what the Fed has done, especially since two thousand eight. I keep going back to it, but the Fed, if you look at its purchases of uh, securities, it is going up or it's going sideways. It's not going down. If you look at total securities, it owns. Meanwhile, reserves, which are no longer required, they're all excess, they're going down a little bit recently. Right. But then you look at lending. Lending's going up in every area that I can see except for home equity. Credit card debt up, commercial lending up, car loans up. I don't see any drop-off. So the Fed, 
it's supposed to be restrictive right now, but it's not. It's still, the banks are still lending. Lending's going up. It's not coming down. Reserves are coming down. But you look at the total securities the Fed owns is going up or is going sideways. But but they should. So that be- tells me the Fed is not being restrictive. And how does it do that? How does it do those three things and have interest rates so low? I think well, they must be. They have to be keeping it, buying the product to keep. But the idea that your that your rate in a, in a bank is one percent when the inflation rate is ten. To me, I, twenty years ago, I would have said that's inconceivable. How do they, how could anybody pull that off? And yet they are. Well, I, th- I think the way it, it's happened is in two thousand eight, Congress gave the Fed the tool interest on reserves, and it wasn't supposed to take. It wasn't supposed to be implemented to, to, until two thousand eleven. No, it was in two thousand six they did this. It wasn't impl- supposed to be implemented to, until two thousand eleven. But the financial crisis comes in 2008. They moved the implementation date to October 2008. And at that point, you see an explosion in reserves because they had to buy all those mortgage-backed securities, all that, all that uh, right. stuff, all that garbage stuff that, they, that was pushed out there um, that was based off a housing bubble. They had to buy all that stuff. And they've been, they've been on a buy-in binge ever since. And... Because they've bought so much stuff, the federal funds rate, without interest on reserves, would probably be very negative in nominal terms. And so when they, when they put that interest on reserves in place, it became a binding price floor on the federal funds rate. In the absence of it, I think it would be negative. And it could be really negative because they have purchased so much stuff that would have, it would have pushed it negative, and that's and the reason why I say it would be negative because interest on reserves when it was first set was set almost at zero. So, in the absence of that price floor, interest on reserves, that federal funds rate would have been negative. Well, no, so no. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with Paul Krugman about the the, the demand for reserves curve bending and being asymptotic to the. Uh, x-axis they had to put that they had to put interest at reserves at near zero to prevent the federal funds rate from going negative I don't think you can look at any one of these curves with the with the with the fed with the nine trillion dollar balance sheet and have the curve tell you anything because the fed has made the curve well it's made the curve because interest on reserves has kinked the demand curve right at or near zero Right, so the federal funds rate can't go negative. It is a it is a floor that the federal funds rate can't go right. below. And without the without this interest on reserves, the Fed would not have been able to do what it's been able to do. Well, the Fed funds since rate two thousand eight, which means add more and more to its balance sheet. Well, the Fed funds rate interest rates positive. Yeah, but the Fed funds rate, if there really is a Fed, well, let's let's go back. Or Al and I are talking above. The Fed funds rate is. Is the money of which one bank one bank lends money to another bank overnight because they don't have enough reserves, correct? I don't even know if that happens yeah. anymore, because one of the people yeah. that I that I see once in a while in the local uh, uh, library, I'll say, uh, used to do that, and he's retired like five years ago. He said it got to the point where one bank would lend the other bank like how many million dollars over life, like forty million dollars overnight, 
and the interest they made overnight wasn't enough to cover the wire transfer. So your your, your Fed funds rate is not going to go negative. But it'll just it, it it can go to zero, and you're going to say, "Hey, I need thirty million. I'll, I'll give it to you." But I'm, I'm never going to. You're never going to pay me. Actually, you know what? Hell, it got to the point where, with uh, who were the two knuckleheads uh, that put that big banking bill together? Uh, the guy uh, Barney with Frank with the Dodd Frank the Dodd Frank. They actually had yeah. banks had to pay. They had needed more capital. That, that's why you had to give. Again, I'm going to be over somebody's head here. That's why the Federal Reserve has given the exchanges uh, direct access to the Fed. They don't have to go through a bank. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the uh, my my elves tell me that say the uh, the Clearing Corp had four hundred million dollars ex- excess some night. The banks didn't want it because if you dropped it off at, at Chase, because it was considered hot money and it might leave the next day, they had to have they had to have more equity to take it. So well, we we got a banking system where you can't give them money and they won't give you a loan. <laughs> How's that for a banking system? How's that for a great design, Hal? Isn't that what a banking system's supposed to do? Take take money deposits and oh by the way give loans. Well, if we don't let them do that, what good are they basically? Uh, so that that's all part of it. The the, the uh, I don't so I don't I don't think just procedurally the Fed funds rate would ever go negative because I mean, how would you how would how would if you needed thirty million bucks overnight and I shipped it to you, the, the best I can do is free. I mean, you're you're not going to pay me to use my thirty mil, are you? On a practical matter, well, I think I think what you can do is if the Fed's lending lending you a billion dollars at negative three, you can make money if you lend it out at negative one. Well, and then it's just margin. There's two percentage points. Well, hence the the European model for how many years in Japan, right? Yeah, their their equivalent federal funds rate is went negative. Well, the thing that I did right? is it was, um, we're talking around this, and I know we're getting too technical for people, but the, the bottom line is if if your your, your grandpa drops a hundred grand in the bank th- today, the end of the year he's essentially pulling out ninety because the infl- yeah. with a ten percent inflation, he's getting no interest. Somehow or another, we've managed yeah. to we've managed to do this to the population this time. We we didn't last time. This time we are, and, and somehow people are putting up with it. And you, and you never hear people on TV go, "Hey, what the bleep?" <laughs> I mean, the biggest winner in inflation is the government, right? How many people do you think if yeah. it raises this year are going to go up a, they're going to go up a notch? I'll tell you, the guy who's, who's absolutely blistered is the person who or lady who is making forty five grand a year. Now the inflation's ten percent, say forty six. The inflation's ten percent. He gets a ten percent raise. And now he's making fifty-one, and now he's right, and he's buying his own insurance. Well, now he's over the over the number that might have gone up a little bit. He's over the number where he gets help on his insurance. You, oh, he's getting crushed. You, yeah, you just eviscerated the guy. Yeah, I mean, not to mention the fact he's probably jumped up a tax rate. Well, you know, the, the weird thing is, Tom, I don't think these politicians give a crap about they. They must. These, they have. Uh, Lower to median household income. They used to ignore them. Well, they don't care what kind of pain they put them through. Well, ex- explain explain this. Um, I treat you like you're the professor in Gilligan's Island. You got an answer for everything, uh, which you know most of the time you do. Somewhere you read these bills, and it sounds like 
these guys are all these guys and women are all confused that they're doing stuff that doesn't seem to make any sense. Yet when you look at what's happened in the last few years and how it has benefited government, it is it is a dramatic plan. I mean, we're essentially borrowing money from people and we're going to give them back that money ten years from now in money that's worth a third as much or a quarter or or forty percent as much. There, there's some somebody's plotting that because that's not stupid. That if, if you if you have debt that you can't pay, read the federal government. You want to do two things. You want to inflate it so you're so that you're uh, paying back stuff that's way worth way less than when you got it. Correct. And oh by the way, if you have any kind of a graduated tax schedule, which we do, you want to pump people's salaries up even though they're not really making anymore, so they pay you more. I mean those those two things. Somebody is smart enough to say that's the program because that is the program, isn't it? Well, I think it is. I mean, inflation is just a tax. They can't... I think Republicans and Democrats, they're able to cancel each other on ter- in terms of raising the tax rate. And I think any state wants to grow. Every, every state wants to expand. And when you have this fight between Democrats and Republicans, Republicans are going to give on the government spending, but I don't think they're going to give on an increase in taxes, right? So how does the state, how do you feed the beast with, with inflation as a tax, right? And this is kind of interesting here. I got this from E. Uh, Economica. He has a graph of 55-year-old uh, number of employees uh, as a percent, right? In 19... In 1990, 17.5% of 55-year-olds and older were working. Today, it's almost 40%. Oh, sure. So why is that? I think it's because of what is going on that you're talking about over the last 20, 30 years. People got to work longer. Maybe they enjoy working longer, but I think the inflation is just pummeling Everybody below the median household income. It's probably pummeling people at the 75% level or less. Well, in, in, right? in this so area... It's just punishing. You, If you can find any place that you can rent for 1500 or less, good luck to you. And Social Security pays 2000 basically. So Yeah. Uh, right there, unless you don't want to heat the place, eat or drive or anything, you better find another some more money for your two grand. Right, I mean, there's no way you can. That's that's why hey. those people move to Mexico or they move to Mississippi or some small town where you can probably rent something for five hundred bucks. Or they move to Idaho and drive uh, real estate prices in Idaho Falls up to half a million dollars. Well, those people are not worried about their Social Security. Um, you wouldn't think. Yeah, but I'm saying, yeah, it's it is really. I mean, if you were to ask me, you know, uh, whatever, however long I make it in this world, if you were to say, what is the what is the most disturbing thing? that the inflation of the 70s and 80s taught you, I had one word for it. Uh, well, it's the unevenness of who it affected. And oh, yeah. And I think it's the driver. I think it's the, I think it's the single biggest driver between the haves and the have-nots. Well, and I think the Fed, the Fed touts itself as trying to make everybody's lives better off, but if you just look at the data, I think what the Fed does is it just, it makes these, it creates these situations where these investors, the investor class, the quote-unquote rich, can buy assets 
financial assets with heavily leveraged loans and make incredible returns. And because its goal is 2% inflation a year, that, that particular trade where they're leveraging the assets with 50% down or 1% down, depending on what kind of asset it is, over the long run, they're going to kill it. They're going to have 100% returns more often than they are going to have a negative 50%. And if you you do, as long as you don't have any money and any skin in the game, let the corporation go under and start over again. What's the difference? That's true, yeah. I mean, we were talking about this last week. Yeah. The the fact that the the decision-maker within the corporation who makes a bad decision about something that leads to a pollution, the corporation's off scot-free. Sure. Right? Oh, yeah, we got, dash, but, uh, we got a dash, but we got a dash. Are you getting all this rain I'm hearing about? Oh, we got we got pummeled. We got pummeled by rain. I think we're okay with the drought now. We we got hammered as rain uh, while I was... Oh, I forgot to tell you. I had a horrible experience with Delta last week flying back to Salt Lake. Oh, God. Holy thankies. Well, tell I got stuck say, in the airport for 15 hours. We, we'll, we'll hear that story next week. We got a dash, buddy. Take care of yourself. Good stuff. <laughs> SP Futures down 9. NASDAQ Futures down 82. Nice job, Bellianni. Back tomorrow. Stocks and jacks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again.